We inform. Religious freedom is about people of faith being able to live out their faith, live out their convictions, no matter where they are. We equip. This is a battle of worldviews. And we activate. We also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. This is AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Welcome to The Core here on American Family Radio. My name is Walker Wildman. Glad to have you with us in studio today. we got a jam-packed show. My brother Wesley Wildman will be in next segment. We'll also have in studio with us Pastor Joseph Parker, host of the Hour of Intercession each morning here on American Family Radio. So we'll have both of them in studio next segment. So you're going to want to stay tuned for that. But right now we got a jam-packed segment Hey, some news for you, some good news. We all need a little good news. This is an update as of yesterday morning, so it could have even changed since then. But the last I heard, thanks to our listeners, we were able to underwrite the audience of American Family Radio, was able to underwrite 3,352 ultrasounds for women in need. Uh, so that's through Preborn. That's the campaign we had last week. Our goal was 3,000. We hit 3,352, and this was as of yesterday morning. So we've probably gone even higher than that by now. But thank you to our audience for providing and donating so that uh, those ultrasounds can be provided for free because you covered the cost. Uh, they can be provided for free to women who are carrying a, a child created in the image of God so that those ultrasounds can be provided free of charge. And we'll talk a little bit about that next segment and what Christians, what the body of Christ should be doing to prepare for a day when abortion is outlawed in America. So we'll talk to Pastor Joseph Parker next segment about that. I want to read a couple verses out of Proverbs chapter 6. We are in Proverbs chapter 6 this week. I want to read a couple verses, the first few verses of, um, first two verses of chapter six. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. And then reading on to three and four, my soul also is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life, save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. So verse 1 through 4 there, you know, David is continuing his appeal to God for mercy upon his life. And uh, you see the same, the same urgency and the same humility and the same petitioning that David has for God to spare his life, for God to protect his life, for God to uh, protect his life so that David can continue to serve God. We should have that same urgency, that same humility, uh, that God would show his mercy to us because we do not deserve his mercy, uh, but rather he, sh- he gives us mercy because of his great love for his people and his great love for his creation. Uh, so a uh, reminder there to always uh, uh, have humility when in the presence of Christ. Uh, jumping into the news of the week, you know, I came across this uh, story from an MIT professor 
from an MIT professor. Her name is Dr. Stephanie Seneff, S-E-N-E-F. She's an MIT scientist. And let me get her bio here. Uh, Stephanie Seneff is a senior research scientist at MIT's Computer Science and Artificial Intelligence Laboratory. She received her B.S. in biophysics in 1968, her M.S. and M.S. in electrical engineering in 1980, and her Ph.D. in electrical engineering and computer science in 1985, all of these uh, degrees from MIT. And so I came across a clip of her on the Ingram angle talking about these shots. And, and, and everybody knows now, everybody's admitted that these are not vaccines. I mean, we've even had our own CDC director admit publicly on national television that these shots are not vaccines. No, she did not say that word by word, but she said that the shots are not preventing transmission. They are not preventing infection and they are not preventing transmission. What does that equal? That equals that it is not a vaccine. Uh, that equals that it is not a vaccine. So we can't, look, we can't just accept the redefinition of vaccinated and immunization, all right? Because if you start allowing them, allowing the quote-unquote experts to just willy-nilly change the uh, change the fundamental meaning of what it means to be immunized and what it means to be vaccinated, then that that is a game-changer, but a game-changer in the wrong direction because they can then mandate anything. All right, so you start saying that they can mandate therapeutics, you can mandate anything. You can mandate that you walk a mile a day. You can mandate that you take uh, X amount of vitamin D. You can mandate that you don't eat at McDonald's. You can mandate all kind of crazy stuff um, that, uh, that will take the government power to a completely different level if you get outside of the historical true definition of vaccination. That's why it's important to not change definitions. <laughs> Do not change definitions. So they're not performing as vaccines. If you trust the, the studies, then they're performing as therapeutics. And once again, the studies on this take years upon years upon years. And right now, we still don't know everything about these shots. We still don't know everything about these shots. You know, people can't say, you can't say on one hand, well, there, uh, there's no evidence, or, or we don't know enough about ivermectin. We don't know enough about hydroxychloroquine to be giving it to COVID patients. Okay, well, we don't, on the same hand, if you want to play that game, we don't know enough about the shots to be giving it to the whole world. We don't know enough about the shots to be mandating them to the entire populace. So we can play that game both ways. If we don't have the data uh, and we need to study things for 5, 10, 15 years, okay, let's do that. But we're going to do it across the board, and we're going to apply that standard across the board. Uh, but this MIT scientist, um, Dr. Stephanie Seneff, she was on Laura Ingram's show talking about some of the studies that she's looking into, some of the data that she is looking at, and how the, the long-term consequences to these shots could be completely detrimental to people's bodies and their brain development and their brain stamina and how... Uh, uh, this this could lead to all kind of things such as Parkinson's disease. Let's listen to clip three. 
Yes, I'll try to. And of course, the science is never easy, but it's quite fascinating what happens. The, the vaccine gets injected into the arm. The muscle cells get very upset. They bring in a whole bunch of troops. The immune cells come in, take up the vaccine themselves. They take up the nanoparticles. They start making spike protein. The particles basically get your cells to produce lots and lots of spike protein in a hurry. Spike is the most toxic part of the virus. And these immune cells then rush into the lymph system, rush to the spleen. Many of them end up in the spleen, which is where you want uh, them to be to produce the antibodies. That's the goal. So they've designed it. And they're very happy to see that they end up in the spleen, making lots of spike protein and then in invoking an immune response that produces antibodies by the B cells. But the problem is that those germinal centers in the spleen are really the center place where Parkinson's disease develops and probably many other neurodegenerative diseases. But for Parkinson's, it's been very well laid out that you get prion-like proteins even from infections in the gut. Immune cells take them to the spleen, to those germinal centers, and then they start spewing out exosomes. These are little lipid particles that are released by the cell, unloading mm. that to toxic protein and shipping it along the vagus nerve to the brain. This is sort of well known with respect to Parkinson's disease, and that's the model I'm using. It feels to me like this is a perfect setup for it. Doctor, Dr. Seneff, um, this is a very short segment. We're going to have you back. But any parent who's been pressured into giving a child uh, this vaccination, what do you say to them tonight? Uh, they should do everything they can to avoid it. Absolutely everything they can. MIT scientists, they should do everything they can to avoid it. That's the note to parents. And I actually have a very extensive opinion piece by Dr. Seneff in, uh, that, that Bobby's going to post a link to on the podcast page at AFR.net. So if you go to our website, AFR.net, you click on today's show on the podcast at AFR.net. We are going to leak to Stephanie Seneff's lengthy uh, article outlining her logic here and her studies. And if you want to know if she has enough references, she has over 45 references, much of them to uh, scientific papers on this topic. So her information is backed up by the data. All right. So she's just not pulling this out of her pocket. She's actually studying this, and she has a lengthy opinion piece uh, on this, uh, a research paper on this that we're going to post at my podcast page at AFR.net. But just reading a summary of it, here's what she says. Uh, this is Stephanie Seneff, MIT uh, senior research scientist. She says, there are many reasons to be wary of COVID-19 vaccines, which were brought to market with grossly inadequate evaluation and aggressively promoted to an uninformed public with the potential for enormous and irreversible, neg irreversible negative consequences. One possible consequence is to deplete the finite supply of B progenitor cells in the bone marrow early in life, resulting in the inability to generate new antibodies against infectious agents. An even more worrisome possibility is that these vaccines, both mRNA vaccines and DNA vector vaccines, may be a pathway to disabling, disabling disease in the future. Through the prion-like action of the spike protein, we are likely to see an alarming increase in several major neurodegenerative diseases such as Parkinson's disease, CKD, ALS, and Alzheimer's. And these diseases will appear with an increasing prevalence among younger and younger populations in the coming years. Unfortunately, we will not know if vaccines cause this increase because there will be generally 
there will generally be a large separation between the vaccination event and the diagnosis of the disease. Very convenient for the vaccine manufacturers who stand to profit handsomely from our misfortunes, both from the sale of the vaccines and from the large medical cost of treating all the debilitating diseases. So that's just a summary of her multi-page article that we're linking to on the podcast page at AFR.net. But when we, when, when I've said for months that we don't have enough data on these shots, that's what I mean. We, we clearly don't have enough data on these shots. Look, we've got to be, we have to stop being sheep. All right. We have to stop being sheep and just listening to whatever the people say with PhD behind their name and going, yeah, I'm going to do that. Like we have to stop assuming that the people that are quote experts and the people that went to school for eight to 10 years and paid hundreds of thousands of dollars in tuition, we have to stop assuming that they are, are like gods. We have to stop assuming that everything they say and do is as if it came from the Holy Scripture because they are humans and they get it wrong. And I actually have a story out of Israel that I'm going to cover more extensively tomorrow of some of the major Israeli scientists that have been leading the pandemic efforts. They're all looking around going, we handled this terribly. We should admit that we handled the pandemic horrifically. What do I mean by that? They did all the wrong things. They did all the wrong things. And you look in America, it's absolutely no different. And that's why we need people in charge to actually show some humility and admit that they completely mishandled this entire situation from the shutdowns to the masking of little children, which I have a story about that. Maybe I'll cover it last segment. To the masking of little children with no data to back it up, by the way, and the whole masking debate, let's don't act as if, well, the masks work, but they're uncomfortable, so people should be... No, the studies do not back up the the science on masking, okay? They're, they're, the most extensive survey out of Japan that was done years ago on the flu admitted it was done on hundreds and, and, and even thousands of hospital workers, and it showed that the only mask that showed even the minuscule benefit of preventing transmission of upper respiratory viruses was the N95 mask. Well, guess what our kids are wearing? Guess what you and I are wearing at the store? We're wearing these little cloth masks that have no data to suggest they work. Let's stop listening to the experts. Let's start studying information and drawing our own conclusions. Be back in a few minutes. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. As David prepared to face Goliath, Saul tried to outfit David with Saul's personal armor. But David didn't have Saul's armor when he faced the lion or the bear. And David recognized that he didn't need the armor to slay Goliath. Today, many Christians yield to the temptation to be hipper, cooler, even a little fuzzy on the clear teachings of Scripture in order to face the Goliaths of our day. But Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men. We don't need a cool light show to be effective ambassadors for Christ. All we need is to offer what we have freely received. We know the transforming power of Christ because he has transformed us. 
Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. This is Raising Godly Girls Minute with Patty Garibay of American Heritage Girls. For girls experiencing burnout at higher levels than ever before, the question shouldn't be, how can I do it all? It should be, why do I feel like I have to do it all? The common answer you'll hear from girls is, because of college, duh. But ultimately, doing a lot doesn't always mean achieving a lot, but it can mean you're doing things poorly. God has placed a calling on your girl's life, and she's here for a time such as this. Guide her toward finding the thing that she's passionate about, and give her the authority to say no to the thing she isn't as passionate about. Fostering this in girlhood means she'll be better poised for an adulthood relieved of some stress, shame, and burnout. We are all called to raise up the next generation of Christian leaders. You can learn more about empowering girls through the love of God at RaisingGodlyGirls.com. That one of the greatest attacks in America was an attack perpetrated by our very own Supreme Court. That was a legalization of abortion. Now, subsequent to that, there have been 70 million babies slugged in the wombs of their mothers. That is more than the entire population of Canada and Australia combined. Kevin Sorbo of the hit films God's Not Dead and Let There Be Light supports life. I wanted to invite you to offer your full support for the ministry of Preborn and its leader, Dan Steiner. The team at Preborn is very focused and very successful at saving preborn babies from abortion. Join Kevin Sorbo and Preborn in Standing for Life. By letting a mother see her baby on ultrasound and hear the heartbeat, she'll choose life 80% of the time. For $140, you can help save five babies' lives. To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby. Or donate securely at preborn.com. AFA at the Core podcast are available at AFR.net. Back to AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. The Core, we are for your... Um uh, listening ship and those that take the time to listen to us. We are, uh, as always, each week on Tuesdays and Thursdays, uh, myself, Wesley Wildman here, fills in and be, gets to be a part of AP at the Core, and I always appreciate that. The reason I grabbed the mic to open up the segment is I want to introduce our guest because he was in my office the other day and we were talking about some things uh, pro-life, and I thought, you know what, he would be a good interview during the time that I have um, during AP at the Core. So with no further ado... Walker's uh, still in here. The rest of the team's still in here, but uh, I wanted to go to our uh, to our uh, guest for today. And our guest today is Pastor Joseph Parker. Pastor Joseph Parker will be familiar for, for a lot of y'all, but for those that um, do are not familiar with him, I'll introduce him. He is the director of outreach and, and intercession, and he hosts the Hour of Intercession on American Family Radio. He's a staff uh, member here at AFA and AFR. He's been here for many many years. Uh, as well, in addition to his radio program, he is the uh, basically the uh, uh, the spokesperson or representative on all things on the life issue, pro-life issues for AFA and AFR. He travels and speaks at churches and events, and he's got a couple events coming up. And I wanted to have him on the program today to ask him a couple questions on the pro-life issues. Now, I've got some my questions here that I'm going to get to you, and I want to uh, and and I'll. And I'll talk about our conversation from the other day and introduce us. But before I do, 
tell our audience when, where they can listen to your radio program and how long you've been working here at AFA. Okay. Well, again, thank you for the opportunity to be with you all here on AFA at the Core. And uh, I've been here a total <laughs> of 21 years. I was with I was the overnight announcer for nine years here at AFR in back in the 90s. Okay. And uh, then came back and been back 11 years. So good. so it's been good to be back. So 90s. Again. That's at the in the early days of the network. Yeah. Yep. Early yep. years of the network. I I. I didn't get here quite as early as JJ, but not too far after Bad JJ, close. So. <laughs> yeah, bad close. Well, um, you were in my office the other day. I get to meet on a monthly basis with Pastor Joseph, and I like to catch up on what he's doing and seeing how AFA can help him continue the work of uh, in the pro-life movement. And while we were talking, he uh, mentioned to me a couple of things, and I'll start with this, uh, Joseph. Uh, for the first time uh, for me, when we were talking about some of the projects you're working on, it was interesting to, you said something along the lines of the church needs to be prepared for what happens after uh, Roe versus Wade is overturned. And in that right. moment, I was like, what? You know, right now, obviously, the effort is and should be continued to, to for it to be overturned, but we're right there in our generation that, could, that it could very easily happen, and nobody would be surprised about that because of the movement that's being made. Right. So my question to you, my first question is how can or what should the church be doing to in an expectation for Roe versus Wade to be overturned in preparation? Well, you know, uh, Wesley, I appreciate the opportunity to address that. It That's a very important and a critical question for the church to look at right now in it because, uh, you know, one of the realities is Roe v. Wade should have never happened. Sure. And yet, sadly, here we are 50 years later, and it's still in place, but I believe by the grace of God is about to fall mm. and uh, should be because, sadly, Roe v. Wade legalized murder. Mm. You know? yeah. yep, but absolutely. the fact is, right now, uh, it's important for believers to understand there's a lot the church can and needs to be doing, and one thing is true in the pro-life cause is uh, pregnancy clinics are in a unique place to do much and have are used mightily by the Lord in lots of ways. A lot of people are not aware of a lot of evangelism and discipleship happens through the work of pregnancy clinics. Mm, but yep. at the same time, a lot of babies are saved through the work of pregnancy clinics. Mm. You know, many women who sometimes they may uh, just not really know what to do, go to a pregnancy clinic, mm. and they uh, encourage and counsel them to realize it's not the end of the world and that they can by the grace of God, get through this. Mm. And that's a very important ministry. Amen. But the fact is, uh, lots of babies are saved through the ministry of pregnancy clinics. But in view of the fact that it looks like Roe v. Wade is about to fall, the church needs to be ready to really receive and respond to this issue in a major way. Mm. Amen. And that's important. And I think of this too. Uh, I've had the opportunity to, one way or another, to com communicate and work with pregnancy clinics and throughout our state. And one thing that is true now that that it's an area where the church really needs to be encouraged to step up in is that because your average pregnancy clinic is poorly funded. Uh, the fact is they many times operate on a shoestring budget. And I recall uh, a conversation I had several weeks ago with a worker in probably the busiest pregnancy clinic in Mississippi. And they'd recently done a, uh, a survey and they said there were around 500 or so churches in that area of the state. And I asked how many of them um, give to you financially. And she sort of chuckled and she said 13. Hmm. And that's a tragedy. That's sure. a tragedy because these clinics are doing such a powerful, powerful and important work in the kingdom of God. 
And they should be so well-funded that they don't have to do major fundraisers. Yeah. Yeah. If the churches simply just put them in their, in their budget, sent volunteers, there's so much that can be done. Yeah, that's what I want to challenge our audience with as we continue this discussion is <clears throat> I know uh, uh, our, our church, um, the local church that I attend does this. Uh, I, I believe Wesley's, the church that he attends does this as well as far as in their budget. Uh, but but if, if, if you either don't know or you know that your local church and your pastor and your deacon body, that that in the budget, in your church budget, that supporting a local crisis pregnancy center, if you know that it's not in the budget or you just don't know, it's it's worthy of asking. Yeah. Uh, yeah but but ask your pastor. I, I would almost bet, Pastor Joseph, that there would be little, there may be exceptions, but there would be little opposition uh, to funding a crisis pregnancy center, even if it's $500 or $1,000 a year, mm-hmm. uh, but you let 20, 30, 40, 100 churches do that together, mm-hmm. I mean, that could be a game changer. So I want to uh, encourage our audience, yes. check with your pastor, check with your deacon body, check with your elders. And, do it today. Yeah, do it today and, and say, are we supporting a local crisis pregnancy center? If not, let's get that in the budget. Amen. Beautiful and that's point. one way that churches can get involved right away in the, pre- in the, in the life issue. And, and, and we should do that. What are some other creative ways that you've seen as you've traveled the country uh, on our behalf and on the behalf of the unborn that you've seen as a creative way? Obviously, we got preborn that AFA, AFA and AFR partners with, but what are some creative ways like that that individually, like if, oh, so I'm at home and my wife and I are talking and we're looking at our finances and my wife and I, we budget a portion for uh, charity or, or in the, in ministry. Char- mm-hmm. Charity is more of a secular word, but ministry what we uh, so what in what, what are some things that we can look at, or maybe it's not just finances. What are so what are some things you've seen as you travel? Well, it's good for you know lots of believers don't even know if they have a pregnancy clinic in their community. The fact is that like many people only know about it if they've had dealings with it. Not not right. always, but many times. Uh, and I would say this, you know, as a pastor for many years, one thing is is very sad is that you have lots of pastors that if you ask them, what do you think about the ministry of your local pregnancy clinic, many pastors' response would be, what is a pregnancy clinic? They literally <laughs> yeah. don't know what they are. Yeah. So many churches don't really know what the ministries do. Sometimes people think they do abortions. You know, they just don't know. Get informed. It's good to educate yourself and ask and have events where churches are are, you know, educated about it. Like, for example, we have scheduled tomorrow night at a church here in Tupelo, an event we call it a Festival for Life, and it's a multimedia event whereby we share about the great work of pregnancy clinics, but challenge believers to get more involved with the pro-life cause because the reality is, whether people fully realize this or not, we, in our culture, we murder babies. Mm. And we think of it as that's not that big a deal, and that's tragic because, again, in you know, we, we look back and we see, we look at the tragedy of um, what Nazi Germany did in, mur- in murdering over 6 million Jews. We've murdered over 60 million babies, mm. and yet we consider ourselves a civilized society. So mm. the fact is, yes, we should without question overturn Roe v. Wade, and we should make it our goal to help bring abortion to an end in our lifetime. Yeah. So clearly that should be a goal. Mm. So like another thing that some something simple believers could do, have a baby bottle campaign. Yeah. You know, yes. Just very simply invite people in the church to get baby bottles, fill them up with change. It's simple, but it's something that could definitely help support the work. Giving diapers and baby clothes and baby items to your local pregnancy clinic 
All of those are things anyone could do. Yeah, don donating, uh, like you said, baby wipes and diapers. You know, while you were talking, I started thinking too. On, on that same front, something we can do is is this is very simple at minimum. Just celebrate life. Celebrate when when people when friends of yours have a newborn or they're yeah. they're pregnant. You know, sometimes it's unexpected and they're going through the emotions of it. You know, make sure to come in with them and celebrate and talk about the excitement of it. Too many times. Uh, you you know we find ourselves in conversations, kind of locker room talk, and we, you know, some people complain about you know raising a child or the difficulties of it and all those things that come with it. And I would never dismiss it as a challenge if you're doing it the right way. Yeah, if you're doing it the right That's way, right. it is exactly. If you're doing it the right way, it is a challenge. Um, however, um, at the end of the day, man, we just need to be grateful for the the way that God allowed us to enjoy life and and right. celebrate the 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 birth of your friends, your neighbors, those that you go to church with and 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 do it in a big way. Uh, right. I know that I coach a little league baseball team here in town and them as well as my Sunday school class and multiple people that we were surrounded with uh, everybody across the board went above and beyond my family included to celebrate with each child that we had and they would give us a whole afternoon party of just diapers yeah, <laughs> right so very my, practical very practical so another mm-hmm. question i want to ask you with a few minutes we got left and i believe this is the most important question that i wanted to get to and that is what makes life this the life issue more important than any others and i'm implying there and assuming that it is because i believe it is um now again a lot of important issues out there and with afa you can go to our website and we've got core issues and then we got five, you know, out of a list of 30 when it comes to campaign seasons, we've got, you know, AFA's got about six or seven or eight right there that are our core issues. And even with that, uh, life, I believe, is number one. Yeah. And uh, well, why do you, do you believe that? And why, if so, why? Well, you know, Old and New Testament, God wanted his people to always look out for the helpless, the poor, the, those that can't speak, those cannot defend themselves. And if you want to get it on, if you wanted to get on God's bad side, Old or New Testament, mm. you you hurt the poor and the helpless. Mm. Well, yes. it appears to me you can't get any more helpless than the baby in the womb. Yep, he or she can't run. They can't protest for, on their own behalf. They can't. So, I think of this. You know, as an African American, I can easily say it's worse than slavery mm. because the reality is slaves could even could pray and cry out and try to run. Sometimes mm. a baby can't run anywhere. Doesn't even have the mentality to say, please Mm. let me live. So without question, biblically speaking, it's a major issue that the church needs to address. And I would say this, believers should say, Lord, show me what you want me to do. Should pray and sincerely be wide open to listening. Because I think in my own situation, you're like, after having pastored in the Mississippi Delta for a number of years, uh, saw the need for an additional pregnancy clinic ministry there and wanted to help someone else do it. And we had discussions, nothing was happening. (laughs) And at a certain point, I heard the Lord say, you do it. And so we ended up starting the ministry that now we're, of course, by God's grace, God has blessed us. And with AFA's help, we've raised the money to go ahead and purchase a mobile unit that will serve in the Mississippi Delta in areas where there are no pregnancy clinics whatsoever. Mm. And around college campuses. That's a game changer, Pastor Joseph, because many women in that area that you're talking about in the Mississippi Delta Mm -hmm. haven't had access to ultrasounds, at exactly. least to ultrasounds that are affordable or even free. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know from the preborn studies and the campaign there that up to 80% of women who go into a pregnancy clinic, they're really not sure what they want to do. 80% of them end up choosing life. That's right. Uh, so it's an absolute game changer. But to your point, Wesley, about what makes the life issue so critical, 
is when you look at AFA's core values, if we don't preserve the sanctity of human life, if babies are not protected uh, and born into the world to have an opportunity at everything, at life, then they can't enjoy the rest of our five core values, such as a practicing biblical morality, marriage and family, evangelism and discipleship, uh, being uh, a good steward of what God has given you, and lastly, religious liberty. If, if babies aren't allowed life on this, on this earth to be a child of God, then they won't be able to enjoy the other five core values. You're exactly right. And um, Pastor Joseph, I just want to thank you for coming on today and being thank a you. part of the radio program and reminding our audience, uh, AFA at the core listening audience, that, um, that abortion is murder. And that we, yes. as as we fight this, and as our day to day goes through, and I understand the, the 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 difficulties of life and the challenges that it comes with, but let us always be reminded that it, that we are fighting this, and that every opportunity we get, we need to stand in the gap for the unborn, and just to always be, just just mindful of it that it, it that it is murder. At the yeah. end of the day, it is murder. And you know, First John one nine says, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's a forgivable sin, mm-hmm. and, and sure. women, men should never think otherwise. Good point. Yet God wants us to clearly understand it's not his will. He'll forgive and bring healing to that person's sure. life, but the fact is he doesn't want us to keep going down that road because these are God's babies, Yes, and he has a plan and purpose for every one of them. That's right. Amen. That's Pastor Joseph Parker. He is on our radio network as a radio host for the Hour of Intercession. Now, his radio program is an extremely early in the morning. It's daily. Uh, between 3 and 4 a.m. However, his uh, radio program is podcast and archived on AFR.net. He has a wonderful program and a good following, and we would love for you to check out his uh, radio content there. Walker, I'm glad that you allowed me to uh, invite our guests on today, and I'm just so grateful how God worked it out that in the process of of, of us meeting, yeah. me and Pastor Judge of meeting, to work on work stuff, yeah, the conversation came up that he would um, that I believe needed to be shared on your program. Absolutely, you know the challenge that I want to leave you guys with uh, wrapping up this segment is number one: uh, go ahead and meet the challenge to talk to your pastor, yeah. talk to your local church leaders, and make sure that you are financially supporting a local crisis pregnancy center. That's the number one challenge. Number two challenge is that. Be thinking what you need to do as a believer mm. when Roe versus Wade is overturned. Be yeah. thinking of how you need to respond, what needs to happen in your community, what can be done to meet the needs of women and even young men who are fathers to meet their needs yes. uh, so that we can be salt and light and help people raise uh, godly, flourishing families. Amen. AFA at the core, Walker Wildman will be back in just a few minutes. AFR programming is now available on Alexa. You're joking, right? Nope, not joking. Seriously? Yep, this is not a drill. Wait a minute, no way. There's a way, the Alexa way. So if you just happen to miss your favorite shows, no worries. You can now listen to each podcast with Alexa. It's simple and it's free. Just visit AFR.net forward slash apps and click Alexa. We're not joking. When you hear this, 
This is American Family News. You know what follows is the truth. Your news from a Christian perspective. Hundreds of teachers are going to have to walk into that school building and they are forced to swallow political ideology that in many cases violates their very faith and conscience. If you miss it at the top of the hour, American Family News podcasts are available at AFN.net and sign up for our daily news brief at AFN.net. I've been an advocate for biblically responsible investing for many, many years, 30 years, because I'm an advocate for permanent income. This is Dan Celia from Financial Issues. I remember having two sisters that had trust funds that I managed. They were family trust. They were the third generation. They were in their 80s. They had more money than you could shake a stick at. They didn't want for anything. And even them, at one point in time, said to me, do we have enough income to pay our bills, our electric bill? That's all they cared about. I'm telling you, you're going to get to that point. So it's not an investment. It's a gift. It's permanent income. Find out about charitable gift annuities when you call 800-326-4543, extension 345. 800 800- 326-4543, extension 345, or by visiting afafoundation.net. This time of year, many people make resolutions, but unfortunately, they just don't stick. Franklin Graham. Let me tell you about a decision that you can make today that can change your life, not just for this year, but for eternity. You see, God gave his son, Jesus Christ, to take our sins, and he died on a cross and he shed his blood for our sins and he was buried, and on the third day, God raised him to life. If you're willing to trust Jesus, he will change your life, not just for this year, but for eternity. Just pray this prayer with me. Just say, God, I've sinned. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I believe that Jesus is your son. I want to trust him as my Savior, and I'm willing to follow him as my Lord from this day forward forever. Amen. Someone is ready to talk with you right now about a relationship with Jesus Christ or simply pray with you. Call 888-388-2683. That's 888-388-2683. God bless you and a happy new year to each and every one. We're the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. AFA at the Core podcast are available at AFR.net. Back to AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Welcome back to The Core here on American Family Radio. We're going to have Rob Chambers, Executive VP over at AFA Action, the governmental affairs affiliate of AFA, and also he's a vice president of policy and legislative affairs with American Family Association, one of my colleagues. So we'll have him in in about eight minutes uh, to discuss uh, the possible takeover of the House of Representatives by the Republicans in the 2022 cycle and what that means, what we can expect there. So we'll talk uh, with Rob here in a few minutes. But before we do that, I want to uh, jump back on this COVID discussion and and continue to bring news and information that you hopefully will find useful uh, as you go about your daily life. You know, uh, it, th- these are not, uh, quote, fun stories, um, but it's important that we discuss them because um, what's going on in our country now, what's going on around the world Uh, directly impacts the life of you and the life of me and our families and our communities. So this has direct impacts. And one of the impacts that we're seeing is the impact on children. Uh, So uh, in the first segment, I talked about the uh, MIT scientist that I played the clip from her on Laura Ingram's show talking about the potential long-term 
negative consequences to vaccinating young people and how it could lead to all kinds of illnesses and diseases and that we just don't have enough information and data to confidently say that these shots are safe, uh, that we just don't have enough data to suggest that. Well, one of the other areas that there's like little data, if any, to suggest that this works is the widespread masking of children, the widespread masking of children. I mean, we saw school districts and states all around the country, even in conservative areas, where they were masking kids for seven to eight hours a day. And they were acting as if it was noble and virtuous, when in reality it was not. Uh, and so once one clip I want to play, this is a mother in the state of Washington. Her name is Ari McDonald, and her son was forced and is being forced to wear a mask during his speech sessions, his sessions with his speech pathologist. This is about a minute and 42 seconds. Let's listen to this mother explain what her son has been going through wearing a mask while trying to learn how to speak, clip four. So when the speech was back in person, I learned that it was going to be masked, and I just didn't understand that. How is speech therapy going to happen when he can't see the therapist's mouth, she can't see his mouth? It just kind of crazy to me, I guess. Mm -hmm. And so... That's what we've been doing, and I tried to get an accommodation for him at school so he could wear a shield instead of a mask. It would make um, it so much harder to understand him when the sound is muffled and distorted. Mm -hmm. So I ended up homeschooling through the school district. So he goes four hours a week rather than over 30 being masked. He also is uncomfortable in the mask. So when he does go to school, he has to wear a mask. When he goes to speech therapy, he has to keep the mask on the whole time. And I've just seen him withdraw socially mm-hmm. when the mask is on. I think it's clear to him that people don't understand what he's saying. His friends don't understand what he's saying. One of his friends, moms let me know, you know, my, my son says he can't understand Beckett or my son when um, the mask is on. So it's it's kind of hard, you know, to know that that's happening, know that there's this barrier for him in communication. When he has worked so, so hard to be understood, to be able to communicate. And now, you know, we have this, this barrier. All right. So now we have this barrier. Her son's are, he's, he's had speech issues for several years now. Well, then we throw a mask on him for two years and his his fellow students that are five and six years old, they're saying, I can't understand what he's saying. They're telling their parents, I can't understand what he's saying. And, and for those who know people that have speech issues, it already brings about a very sense of insecurity and lack of confidence when, when a child feels like they can't properly communicate. Well, then we're going to slap a mask on them and, 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 exa- and exacerbate their problems. This is, this is some of the most inhumane, illogical uh, ways to treat children. It's absolutely insane. So he's going to speech therapy with a mask on. And the, the teacher's wearing a mask too. I mean, for anybody who has been around speech therapy, you have to watch their mouth. You have to, the, the teacher has to use her mouth to teach the child how to speak. Um, and that's being prevented. 
when you wear a mask. So wearing masks, children wearing masks is a terrible idea, point blank. And you look over in Florida, this is a report, a local report out of Palm Beach County, but a local uh, speech therapist uh, down in Palm Beach County says that they are seeing a 364% patient increase in patient referrals of babies and toddlers from pediatricians and parents. It goes on to say that many parents call it, quote, COVID delayed because the children are not able to communicate. They're not able to socialize with other children and adults and learn how to speak uh, clearly. And this is all self-induced in the name of wearing masks. And as I mentioned, the studies show that masks do not work and it com- when it comes to preventing the spread and the infection of upper respiratory illnesses. Uh, so we got to stop masking our children and allow them to read lips and allow them to learn how to speak. That is the proper, humane, and right thing to do. In studio with us is Rob Chambers, Vice President of Policy and Legislative Affairs. Rob, glad to step in with us. Great, Walker. Glad to be here. Well, I came across an American Family News uh, piece about uh, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, and I actually did watch his sit-down with Breitbart News. He did about a one-hour sit-down in D.C. with Breitbart News. I thought it went pretty well. Uh, Kevin McCarthy said all the right things. But as I'm seeing conservatives begin to fawn over the idea of a Speaker McCarthy, um, I just can't help but be a little bit cynical and distrusting that Kevin McCarthy is going to come in in January of 2023 and be House Speaker, and he's going to carry out the agenda of the American people. What's your thoughts? Any Republican that supports Elise Stefanik to be a leader in the GOP House who is anti-religious liberty yes. uh, is a it, it's a bait and switch. You know, I I, I do not trust. The uh, the promises of uh, of minority leader McCarthy, uh, he he right when Liz Cheney, uh, all the pressure she got from from opposing President Trump, he goes out and uh, works behind the scenes and then comes out and, and publicly supports Elise Stefanik, who is a New York liberal for the uh, conference third chair. Person. Yeah, conference chair. I mean, she's going to be uh, the one that's that's kind of helping with the election of of house uh, Republicans in this midterm election. Yeah. And so what kind of what kind of house Republican is she going to be supporting in the primary elections? Is she going to be supporting someone that's a strong religious liberty advocate or someone that's a moderate to liberal like she is on these issues? Yeah, and to your point, you know, people probably watch Elise Stefanik during the Trump administration, and they watch her uh, press interviews, which, by the way, the Republican Party, they prop up these people, right. put them in front of cameras to build their profile, knowing that there's going to be a vacancy on the conference chair so that they can go, yeah, this person's great, um, and act like it all happened organically. But at least Stefanik, <laughs> when you look at, at yeah. iVoterGuide, yeah. which is uh, a division of AFA Action, recently acquired by AFA Action, that goes through and scores and grades candidates, does research on candidates, Elise Stefanik has a terrible rating with our voter guide, and that's the uh, division that's under AFA action. Yep. Uh, so her voting, even her voting record and who she takes money from, all of that is not good from a conservative's perspective, and that's who Kevin McCarthy supports. And l- let's not forget, 
that Kevin McCarthy and Paul Ryan used to hang out all the time. I mean, Kevin McCarthy's been in D.C. since 2006. Paul Ryan was a notorious rhino. He hated Trump. He didn't do anything he said he would do. Mm -hmm. And they go out and they say, you know, give us back power. We're going to make this right. But, Rob, I looked at, at some of the things, and I actually I did watch the entire one-hour sit-down with Breitbart that Kevin McCarthy did, and pretty much the vast majority, I would say 75% of what he said was fighting, was preventing the Democrats from doing bad things instead of promoting policies and going on offense and, and, and instituting laws that are good for the American people. It was all defense and mm-hmm. hardly any offense. Well, that's the point that uh, Rachel, Rachel Bovard from a Conservative Partnership uh, Institute that's her point that she made in a in a recent Federalist uh, article. She's she's making that very point uh, that that they're they're he's making all of these uh, these these promises and things that would be even maybe beneficial to uh, to businesses, but there's no real fighting agenda. There there's nothing of that. Uh, we heard very similar things as you mentioned uh, come out of the mouth of uh, Paul Ryan when he was. You know, going to be uh, speaker, lobbying for Speaker of the House, and yes. and uh, we see a lot of the same things. So we don't see a strong agenda. And why is that? Why is that? You know, he goes out there, and he's he, uh, McCarthy is critical of the Chamber of Commerce. Of course, the Chamber of Commerce is is uh, you know they they advocate for uh, Democrats. Uh, They're far left. Uh, yeah, they they vote for other liberals, and um, and so or advocate for other liberals that would advance their agenda right. and so so mccarthy goes out there and is is critical of the chamber of commerce but yet what is he doing to advance an america first agenda mm. you don't see it and so why is that you know i think it's all uh it's rhetoric for a bait and switch yeah. in my opinion i've got an op-ed coming out in american family news and uh, on our blog site and the stand this afternoon and i call i call washington dc and, and i call it what the Republican Party engages in, I call it the most the most intense pillow fight in America. I mean, that's <laughs> I like really that. that's I like nice. It. That's really you, you look at it and you go, man, they are decking it out. But you look at what they're using to fight each other, yeah. and it's pillows. Yeah, it's spot on. Yeah, and yeah. And, 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 they, and they don't even buy them from Mike Lindell. <laughs> they, hey, true, they do ba-boom. not even bother my pillow, <laughs> which are the best pillows on this planet. Um, so they're having this intense pillow fight, and everybody's like, yeah, get them. But nothing's really happening. Nobody's getting injured. Talking politically here, nobody's getting injured. Nobody's getting taken out. Um, all the all the puppets are still standing. So we bring this up, and I brought Rob in because, folks, I want you to understand that in order to change the the, the uh, trajectory of this country, we need people in positions of leadership and influence that are going to keep their word. All right, mm-hmm. so. The one thing I respect about the Democrats is they admit that they hate America. They admit that their ideas are crazy. They don't say it that way, but they publicly promote ideas that are whacked out and crazy, and then they campaign on it. And when they get in office, they actually fight for it. They do it, yeah. Uh, But the Republicans, they go out and say all the right things, like Kevin McCarthy, but then you put them in power, and they twiddle their thumbs and talk about how bad the Democrats are. Yeah, they go get get smaller pillows. Right, (laughs) smaller pillows. (laughs) And then they start... Uh, they they don't know how to effectively lead. I think I heard somebody say that you know Republicans are the best non-governing party in American history. I'm telling you, I mean it's it's pathetic. You know yeah. what we need. I think you're you're spot on, Walker. With what America needs is people that are going to to get get it, get in there and and fight for the agenda. Yes, and uh, and to advance that and and to see it, it it takes no more to find out where 
McCarthy really is to see that he endorsed and fought for uh, Elise Stefanik, who supports and not only supports, she introduced the Fairness for All Act. She actually also voted for uh, the Equality Act the first time. Yes. Yeah, and to your point about that, we look at the Republican Party platform. You and I have talked about it before on the show. Uh, it's not good enough for Kevin McCarthy to say, oh, we want to be a big party. I know you talked about the big tent party in, in your interview with AFN, but mm-hmm. it's not. that's not a good thing, folks. It sounds good to say, oh, we want, we want to have a big party. You know, we want a wide range of perspectives. No, that's a terrible idea because what you're openly admitting is that we're willing to have people in our party who don't believe in our party platform. And that is not a good idea, okay? If they want to, they don't want to believe in the Republican Party platform, be an independent, don't take money from the RNC. Uh, but if you want to be in the Republican Party, you need to firmly believe in the party platform. And that means upholding God's design for human sexuality, upholding religious liberty. That's right. And preserving the constitutional rights uh, that our founders uh, put in the Constitution. Rob, thank you for coming on the show, brother. Thanks, Walker. All right, well, there you have it. Rob Chambers, Vice President of Policy and Legislative Affairs at American Family Association. You know, um, if you want to know what it looks like to have somebody who actually gets elected and does what they say they're going to do, look no further than Donald J. Trump, all right? And and, and as, as as Christians, as conservatives, we can all find our issues that we have where we don't agree with Donald Trump, we don't agree with his approach at times, we don't agree with some of his policy positions, All right. Some of them, not all of them. But what Donald Trump did to his credit, okay, is he did something that hardly any politician has done in decades. And he got elected into office and he fought firmly and viciously to get enacted into law and policy that which he ran upon in the campaign. That is unheard of in Washington, D.C. It's noble. And he kept his word. And for that, Donald J. Trump, the 45th president of the United States, deserves all credit for keeping his word and doing what he said he would do. So let's not forget that. There's an example of keeping your promises. And you look at the Trump presidency. That was a presidency of keeping promises. So let's try to replicate that in the future when going to the ballot box to elect America's leaders. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.